0: y'all and welcome back to another episode of Office Hours Career Pathways for PhDs. My name is Jasmine Goodman and of course I always say I'm excited but once again I am excited. We have another great interview for you today. As you know here at Office Hours our goal is to make sure that we are just sharing all the different career paths for PhDs so we're not pro-tenure track or pro-leaving the academy. Our goal is to make sure that you have what you need to make an informed decision about how you want to leverage your doctorate after graduation. So I am excited to share. Our first guest is Dr. Trevon Swain. He has a PhD in biochemistry from the University of Maryland College Park. We're going to bring him up to the stage. Dr. Swain, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here today. Yes, thank you. So we were talking earlier about a small robbery we have, not quite. <laughs> um, he is a graduate of Hampton University, as you all yeah. know, as you all can see back here, I went to Howard, <laughs> but I'm not as fully invested in the Howard versus Hampton um <laughs> I'll say beef, we'll say rivalry.
1: <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, right? <laughs> Whatever we
0: want to call it. But we've, we've decided to keep our pettiness to after this conversation so yes. it won't get in the way of our conversation today. <laughs> but thank you again for joining us. And I just want to jump right in. I love to learn more about you, your story. You've shared that you have a very unique story and our goal is to really highlight that. So yes. tell me, what prompted you to pursue your PhD in biochemistry?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so I had my undergrad degree in chemistry from Hampton University, and my senior year, I was like, okay, what am I going to do next? Am I going to go pharmacy school, med school, grad school? There was a lot of different opportunities for me, um, and I remember spring of my senior year, I went on a graduate college weekend at Georgia Tech, and was basically just a retreat, just for students who may be interested in the graduate school program. We learned a lot about What that looks like, the different programs they offered—STEM, biochemistry, chemistry—and I was like, okay, this could be a path that I want to go down. And so I went down there, and I actually met a young lady—I can't think of her name right now—who was in the program. She was like her fourth year in the program, a PhD program down in um, Georgia Tech. And I was like, how do you like it? I'm excited. I would like to learn more about it. She said, I hate it. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to master out. My PI is not what I wanted to be. This is not the vision I had at all. And I was like, wait a minute. This is not the response I was expecting to hear about somebody who's supposed to be inviting you. It's like an open house week into the graduate school program. Mm-hmm. She said, I just don't have the support I'm looking for. It's mentally draining. I feel like it's toxic. I want to get out. And I was like, OK, that's very interesting. And thank you for sharing your story. So I wanted to take some time to really kind of decide if this is the route I want to go to. So. Immediately after college, I started graduate, I decided not to apply to any schools. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to go into a program, I need to make sure this is something I want to do. So immediately after, I started to, I did some tutoring um, at a local charter school around um, in D.C. So I was like, okay, I can get a feel for teaching. This is a little something I want to do. And I started applying for internships. And there was an internship at the FDA. Um, Center of Veterinary Medicine. they were looking for a chemist. It was a three-year program, and I applied. And I said, okay, I'm going to learn all about it. It's about research. I can kind of hone in my skills. I can decide if this is something I really want to get into. And so got into the program. I was supposed to start in the fall, but with the government, it takes a little longer. So I didn't get into the following spring, which was fine. It just gave me some more time to teach. And so I got into the program. Um, It was supposed to be three years. It got cut off after the year. So they actually hired me as a full-time employee so i was like okay this actually works my favor so started to work i i was working with i was in the lab i was working with animals things that i just never thought i was going to see myself as a bench analytical chemist but it ended up working in my favor and i really thrived in the area and it was like veterinary medicine research and they gave me the opportunity to go back to school they're like would you like to pursue a graduate degree i was like yeah, sure, why not? You know, this is something I was thinking about, but you're going to have to do the research um, here on site. It was a lot of different elements in order to get approved, applied, all these different things. And when I initially applied, I wanted just to get my master's. I was like, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to get the full PhD. I'm going to get my master's and I can get the side this is something I'm going to continue to do. Especially hearing that horror story, I was like, this is not, I don't want to invest that much time in that. Right. But um, I had a mentor um, who, um, who said, you know what, you could apply to a PhD program, and if you don't like it, you can always master out. It's really the same type of core curriculum and coursework, and if you decide this isn't for you, you can master out. And I was like, okay, that's fine, that works for me. So I ended up applying, I ended up getting in, and then I found myself like seven years being a full-time employee and a full-time graduate student. So yeah, yeah so seven that, years. yeah, seven years. So. kind of dragged my feet a little bit because i was looking at it as a sense of well i'm still you know i still am working for the government i'm getting my tenure i'm still having a pretty decent pay for you know uh entry level government position Mm -hmm. and initially i was contemplating should i just go to grad school full-time or should i try to balance it out and i was like well i could still get the tenure as a government employee um, they were offering to pay for our classes and things of that matter, so that kind of worked out. Um, it was just how I would have to balance my life between a full-time employee and graduate student and uh, an employee. And so, um, you know, I had a lot of different layers because my um, off-campus advisor ended up being my supervisor, so that was some added pressure as well. Um, so, like, I had to make sure I make my marks in order to get my promotion and grades, so... Um, you know, it was a lot of added pressure, but I ended up working out for me in my favor because if I would have went back, my, I think my pay would have been cut like nearly in half. And and Yeah. And so I was like, well, I'm, I'm on the verge of buying a house. I'm already kind of in my career a little bit, you know, I'm starting out. Let me just try to um, see what I can navigate. And so it took a little longer, but, um, you know, COVID hit and it kind of just put things uh, in perspective, um. I ended up getting married in 2019, okay. um, thank, thank you, appreciate that, and then we were expecting spring of 2020, so wow. I was like, I need to finish this up, wrap this up, and so I ended up defending fall of 2020, wow. so I was a so I was full-time student, full-time employee, new dad, I'm writing a thesis, I'm preparing mm-hmm. to defend, I'm like, I gotta wrap all this stuff up, and so mm-hmm. um, I ended up wrapping it up, ended up working out well, um, you know, I did it, my thesis, I, I as you mentioned before, got a PhD in biochemistry. Um, really well, I was looking at like different biomolecules that correlate with inflammation and in swine. And so okay. um, it kind of worked out in my favor, got a couple of papers worked out. And um, I realized at the end of this, and especially with COVID, you know, being in a position in which that you have to be in a lab a, a lot of times, um, especially during COVID, I'm like, well, do I want my likelihood? And you know my marks to be based off of me being present and so i wanted to kind of pivot and kind of decide on okay um what does that look like for me and so after i defended i started to do a lot of informational interviews i started reaching out to people on linkedin i went university of maryland offered this great program called what do you do now with your phd and it was basically a mini boot camp in which that we had a special advisor in which we went through worksheets to kind of understand transferable skills, what can you do, what type of opportunities, things beyond just um, academia, you know, because I think that's what everybody focuses on in PhDs. Mm-hmm. And so for myself, the main reason why I got my PhD was really just to stay competitive. I mean, when I had a lot of my bosses who had PhDs, vet degrees, And NBAs, you know, my little bachelor's was not going to hold it in order for me to move up. And so long story short, there was a glass ceiling. And I needed to figure a way to pivot within my current position. And um, getting, getting that PhD really opened up a lot of doors and opportunities for me. So long story short, that was the main reason why I got it was really just to keep the doors open for myself.
0: Right. And I'm so happy that you shared a lot of the life stuff that happened. You talked about buying a house, getting married, Mm -hmm. having a child. Those are the things that I don't think a lot of people realize that when you're in a doctoral program, life doesn't stop work stops sometimes. I know for me, I was a full time student and I would work like adjunct and I would have different part time jobs. Mm -hmm. But there's so much life that happens. So. How were you able to, I'm not going to say balance, but I'll say manage (laughs) the responsibilities because it's important to, you know, move forward with your obligations, but also make sure that mentally, emotionally, and physically you're okay. So what was that process like for you?
1: Um, Great question. I really had to do some inner work, right? I, You know, I really had to look into, you know, mental health, really understanding, like, am I getting anxiety? Am I missing out on things? FOMO all these different situations, because as you mentioned before, life goes on. And so, you know, I'm seven years in. People are, you know, some people already finished some of their, you know, if they were a law lawyer, three L's, or three years are done. They're really, you know, they're really making their way into um, their own career. So um, as somebody who's still in this weird situation where I'm working, but I can't really leave because I'm still doing my PhD program, my growth was stunning a little bit um I really had to talk you know village and you know the thing about a PhD program it can range right you can be finishing four years you can be finishing 10 years it all depends on your situation mm-hmm. and so that can be mentally draining because everyone's always asking you when you're going to finish when you're defending and you're like okay it, it's a long process yeah. and with research especially in STEM sometimes experiments don't go the way you want it to and so sometimes it's a lot of writing it's a lot of you know failed experiments it's a lot of trying to figure out what works best for you and trying to understanding and um, it can be a little demanding and especially when the phd program which i kind of it almost like shark tank which that you kind of always have to constantly defend your work and prove yeah. your worth mm-hmm. um it can be very demanding and so having a village to be around to talk to people about and so and, and talk to about your whole situation really uh was extremely helpful for me because Honestly, you know, it was kind of an isolating situation for me because I was not quite a I was a graduate student, but I'm not fully in their lab. I'm working at my job, but nobody's really in the program. Don't really understand what I'm going going on with me. So I had to really um, take some time, you know, to kind of figure out what that looks like and what the support look like. And so I really had to talk. You know, my wife was extremely helpful for me. When I was defending and writing, and I, and even though we had a crying, yes, a crying baby <laughs> and trying to figure that all out, she really allowed me some time to um, sit down and write. And I had to find um, tactics that worked for me. I realized that, okay, if there's going to be a lot of noise in the house, if I can get two hours apiece, maybe I'll put some noise-canceling headphones on and really kind of focus in on it, and that kind of worked out for me. But um, it was really a challenge, and it's still a challenge, right? Try, try, trying to balance it all, but Ultimately, it worked out in my favor. Um, it's a long process. But for me, you really just got to kind of stay focused on what works best for you and what was your end goal. My goal was to kind of complete this degree and worry about the next step, because when I came to the program, there was a lot of people who were, uh, you know, brilliant. Uh, but they just, you know, the passion wasn't completing the project. You know, they want to move on to something else. They were like, you know what, this is not the path I thought I was going to happen with. I'm just going to industry. I'm a master out. These, all these different ways to kind of um, tap into their, you know, their passion. And so for me, I knew that a goal of mine was to complete this degree in order for me to kind of stay competitive, as I saw as somebody that was currently working. Now, when you go into industry, it's not necessarily, um, you know, it's not for, for the position of the government, there's a certain like level of education requirement. But in industry, it's not necessarily like that, right? If you're a hardworking, you know, if you're if you're hard worker, if you do great at your work, you're able to um, still move up in the ranks. But in my current, in my previous position, um, they started to create a line in the sand. They said, well, if you could either do lab work or you got to be a PI or study director. Um, they weren't letting people who were doing lab work to uh, run their own studies. So that kind of created some tension because you could still do like method development studies, but you couldn't do research based projects as somebody who had a non PhD and so realizing once again that's another glass ceiling and so I had to kind of figure out how do I leverage my skill set in order for me to kind of continue to stay competitive in this the space that we're in right now
0: so for you the motivation was career advancement and then also being able being able to just have more income opportunities What specifically were you interested in in terms of a role once you graduated? Or was that something that was flexible and kind of nebulous for you? No.
1: it was. So after I graduated, I I'm already at, let's say, I think I'm at like 11 years within the government. So I'm halfway done. It's for I'm close to retirement. Right. Like I'm halfway there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started to do those informational interviews, as I mentioned before. I started to reach out to people in all these different spaces government, industry, academia. I was calling, asking, okay, different spaces, different fields. I was using LinkedIn. LinkedIn has extremely powerful tools. You can look into people who went to your university, what field they're in, you know, what jobs they're in, you know, and you can kind of just see, okay, what path did they take? And I was just reaching out, hey, I'm a recent grad. I would love to learn more about your career story. Um, can we chat, you know, for 30 minutes? And um, I realized that people love to talk about themselves, right? And so, like, once you start to ask about their past, I'm not really asking for a favor. I'm not asking for a referral. I'm just really trying to learn more about what was your process behind this? What was your thought? Do you have any ideas? Anybody you could connect me with? And just try to learn more about what their process was, um, you know, after having a lot of conversations and really thinking about, okay, I'm, you know, I'm I understand like the money's in industry. I should I go there? You know, now I have my degree. I'm not stuck to this particular tie, to this particular position. What can I do? And after speaking to a lot of people, they were like, Well, you already have X amount of years with the government. You can stick around, you can hop around, go to different centers, you know, different organizations. You can kind of build upon that because then you can always take that to industry, right? So the more you gain, you can kind of just hop around. Because you already have the tenure, you already have the experience, and now you just kind of build upon uh, your background. And so that's what I ended up doing. I started applying to different positions. And so I remember I was doing an interview for a consulting gig, and it was like 10 interviews. And I kept interviewing, and I was just like meeting all these different people, which is great. And in the position I'm had now, I had one interview. It was a, like 30 minutes in and out. And they offered me a position. I was like, I'm not doing any more interviews. I'm going to try this out. And so those are the things you kind of have to figure out what works best for you. And that's kind of the role I'm in now. Um, I, I got out of the lab. Mm-hmm. I'm now a scientific reviewer uh, for the Center of Tobacco Products. And so I review a lot of tobacco products that come in. Cigars, cigarettes, e-cigarettes, things of that matter that come in. Uh, we look at it. We kind of compare what's on the market. Um, and to see how, how much harm they, they, they impact, um, you know, the public health um if it's causing more harm less harm you know those are all things that we should kind of take consideration and the beauty of this particular position is that i've been fully remote now there are talks about trying to go back um but that's still in talks but we're currently in a pilot program right now for us to kind of work from home so it gave me the flexibility to still do what i love which is science but be able to work from home and to do it on uh, my computer my laptop and you know not have to be forced to do research in which that I could be working four to five years in a project and I may hit a dead end. You never know. Right. And so like I can actually see um, the impact I'm having um, with these applications in real time, which I think is definitely refreshing compared to sometimes you're doing research and you don't know if it's going to be picked up, if it's going to be interest, if people are going to cite you. And so um, having this flexibility um, to kind of make your impact, I think, is super important. And one thing I did learn in the boot camp and as I learned informational interviews, I just wanted to operate more in my zone of genius. And I realized that research, though I can do it, it's not my zone of genius. And I'm not super creative, but what I can do is I'm very task-oriented, detail-oriented. I can look at the problem. I can give my input. I can provide feedback. Um, I can be very personable. I can use those skill sets um, in order to help other people uh, fulfill you know, their scientific research as well. And so kind of understanding that um, was a process in itself. And still, I'm learning about it. But I realized, OK, I should lean a little bit more towards that. So what does that look like? And so that's why review work has been extremely helpful for me, because then I can see what applications come in. I can see what looks odd, what doesn't look right. Um, I can give a whole different point of view because I feel like it's a little bit more natural for me. And, though, you know, research I think is definitely exciting and always um, an expect thing and it's always great to be a part of it. But um, as I mentioned before, it can be very demanding. You don't know where your funds are coming from. There's a lot of different factors that go along with this. And so uh, the beauty of this particular position, a lot of our funding comes from Congress as well as application fees from industry as well. So. I don't have to worry about grant money, I don't have to worry about when my next, next paycheck's coming through. And so um I think it helps with my work life balance
0: as well. Yeah. So this is not on my notes, but are you reviewer one or reviewer two? Like are you the one that cuts up and hurts feelings? Are you the one that <laughs> do- <laughs> are you causing- Yeah, I- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yo, no. So I am reviewer one right now. So oh. listen, I, and I'm with the whole process, it's really took me out of my element because when you do this type of review work It's not as the same review work as like I would say for like a Times Journal. It's more so like policy, right? So it's more of a policy, it's more lighthearted. It's more like, okay, you don't have this information. This is why this information is important. Please provide this information, get back to us. And so it's very straightforward. And it's it's not as fluffy as as it can be with uh you know uh, scientific journals. So um, it's take it took me some time to adjust. And I'm still adjusting to it. Um, but learning a little bit more about the process and you know having great mentors and they understand there's a learning curve that goes along with it has been helpful for me in this whole process.
0: Now, talk to me about preparing your resume or translating your CV into a resume for government work. What was that process like? Since it's still very STEM heavy. And my assumption is that the language is still the same. Tell me more about CV preparation or resume prep and then also kind of the language of the role that you're in now.
1: Yeah, no. Um, there, so within my particular center, CTV, we all actually have um, like a job center, resume building um, email that you can reach out to. So you can look at a specific resume and you can. Sp- schedule a free one-hour block of time to say, hey, I need to federalize, as we call, my resume um, into CV in order for it to be, say, competitive. Because within the government, I know everybody dreads USA Jobs, but that's really the only way that you can kind of get in there. But you have to realize that it's only matching certain keywords. So you need to make sure your keywords, which are within the CV, are being highlighted and so that the computer can pick it up in order for it to get to the hiring manager. So reaching out to these different people who are specialists in these particular programs. I, I remember during this actual um, boot camp. We actually had a specialist that came from uh, EPA that said, hey, if you're interested in getting to the government, email me. I'll be able to work with you. We can talk about like how we can transfer your resume. So that's the first step, just kind of understanding what the process looks like kind of match your resume for what's in that job description in order for you to be picked up. Then you can start talking about um, different ways. But you got to alter your resume for every job you apply for because, of course, there's certain keywords that may be relevant to one job listing but not the other. And so um, it is a process. It's not a blanket state. You know, I know everyone says for, you know, resumes, one page or before. But the government, it's an ongoing process in which that you kind of constantly have to update that in order for you to just be picked up. Uh, But, you know, I applied to several different jobs. I mean, with the government, you can't just apply for one. You got to apply at least 30, 40 different jobs in order for you to just get picked up um, and get into the next process. And another thing I would also say is reach out to other people who are in the government. A lot of times there are internal uh, emails that we get that we're looking for people, uh, candidates uh, out, you know, for external candidates. But we get internally um, for people uh, for particular positions um you know you can look at people who may be um center directors or office directors or managers and reach out to them directly say hey i'm interested in this can you pass my resume around and there's a lot of opportunities that may not be seen because though the job has to be listed on usa jobs there's that time that it's on there can vary on position so sometimes that, that position can be there for a week a couple of days depending on what uh, uh, depending on the listing itself and so um as much information as you can get about the position, learn more about it, um, about the office itself. Um, Also within the FDA, I know there is, um, on LinkedIn, we have a recruitment page that has postings all the time. And sometimes um, it is through USA Jobs, or sometimes it's provide your resume at this email address, and then if you get to the next process, then they have you uploaded on USA Jobs. So there's different workarounds but there's multiple different paths. And so just trying to be open, talking to other people in the positions within the government who are in HR, who who are in the particular position you're looking for uh, can be extremely helpful.
0: Now with that, what are some skills that you found yourself leaning into in your current role that maybe you didn't think you would have to lean into or leverage or use as much?
1: So in my current role, I would say project management. I think within research, when you're running a project and you're a study director and you can really kind of leverage, um, you, you're kind of like on your own, right? You can go in the lab. You can do what you want. You can kind of see what works, what doesn't. You present your information. You you show the results. And it's kind of just uh, <clears throat> almost in a little a personal silo. But with my particular position, we work with multiple different experts. so. So I'm a chemist for my current role. I still work with toxicology. I work with project managers. There's a lot of different moving parts and kind of understanding that not everyone's going to know the chemistry. And so you got to be able to make sure that's digestible for all different um, experts and being able to communicate that. And so I had to really step up my oral and written communication skills because I had to realize I had to tailor it to my new audience. It's not just people who within my field, it's outside my field. So I had to be mindful of that I have to constantly change it. I have to lose, lose some of the jargon. I wanted to make sure it's you know simple. You know, keep it simple as possible um, for them to kind of understand your point across, and for and for you to kind of digest with them. But a lot there's a lot of moving parts. There's different reviewers, and you know different levels in which that you kind of have to uh, make your case for your review. Because though you can, you know, you you make these suggestions on if this is acceptable or not, or I think there should be added changes. It still has to move up the ranks, and so you can you can challenge it. You can say, well, I think that this is my stance. I think they need to provide this, or if management says not, you know, you have to make a case for that. And so you have to constantly, um, you know, kind of defend your work in a certain way. But you also understand that uh, we're all working as a team. We want to make sure that the products that we are proving or we're denying, um, we won't have any issues with it, right? Because then legal can come in. And so there's a lot of different ways that you have to be mindful. Of the work that you do. And so I think that's a big one for sure. You know, it's a lot more teamwork, of course, um, when you're working with all these different um, experts. Uh, so I think that's a big skill set that I really had to learn about and try to apply um, instead of just working on this research island that I was previously.
0: Now, with that, what would you say, because you've already, you had experience working with the government before you graduated, were there any challenges that you experienced once you defended and you were now working full time without, you know, all the restrictions of academia attached to that?
1: Um, yeah, I, I think there's definitely some challenges. I think at first, you know, there were some, you know, like, um, I, as I mentioned before, my supervisor was also my (laughs) advisor so it was some awkward conversations to kind of figure out okay like what's my next step look like what should it look like because of course there's an investment to be like okay well we invested in your your you know uh your education we kind of want you to stay around here but I also understand I want you to grow as well and so there were some tough conversations in which that we need to have some honest conversations about Is there a position for him for me to grow? How long would that take, you know? And do I stick around? Should I stay? Um, And though I was in this particular position, the position I was at previously wasn't um, necessarily like a PI research track for me within the government. I was just doing some research work and I was granted that opportunity because I was in the program. So then I had to wait for another opportunity to come and I had to figure out what worked best for me and my next steps and also, the thing is, when you're in a position in which that I, I wanted to get outside, uh, I wanted to break, I would say, what people viewed me as, because I think it was easy for people to me, just to see me as just bench hands, right? Somebody that worked in a lab. And for me, in order to expand my, you know, really to tap into my professional growth, I wanted to step outside of that in order for them to look at me in a different light. Uh, because it would be easy for them to always be like, well... You know that you know he's um my supervisor's graduate student, you know, and so in order for me to be my own you know uh you know my own uh, person in this research world or science world, I really want to step out outside of that, and so that was um something that I wanted to be mindful of, and you know, I have nothing but love and respect for my previous job, it's just that um I you know of course maybe the door may be open, who knows, but I wanted to go out on my own a little bit to kind of see what does that look like um Step outside of just being in a lab, and you know what what opportunities are there for me. Because I think there's a lot of doors that are opening now, especially with a lot of telework opportunities that just weren't there a few years ago. And so now that um, really you can see the, the culture shift a little bit more, um, I wanted to see what that looks like. And so that was a, a big hurdle for me as well. And so um, as I mentioned before, you know, there's glass ceilings, and also I realized. There's an art of what I like to call managing up, right? And so a lot of times, what I find out in the STEM field over the years is that great scientists don't necessarily make the best managers. And so even though they're great at their research mm-hmm. and they're very involved and they're brilliant minds, I think a lot, a lot, a lot of times they have an issue um, being great mentors and really trying to. Um, grow employees and you know I think that's a struggle that I, I you know that is going to be a constant battle that I have and you know you got to find that out and try to figure out ways like how can my manager help me out in a way um, that's outside of the norm or outside of what they're accustomed to and kind of challenge them in different ways and say okay um, hey this is how I'm able to thrive this is what motivates me this is my passion these are ways tap in. some people it may be um, career growth. Some people it may be, you know, you know, work-life balance. Some people it might be education. There's different ways, but you got to have those conversations for them to understand. Because I think they can make a lot of assumptions as well. So I think that was another hurdle as well, like understanding. Okay, um, you know, management can be a little tricky, but there's a way that we can work together, and there's a way that we can both feed off each other, and for this relationship to be healthy on both sides. So I think that was a challenge as well.
0: Okay. Now, our next segment is all about just a day in the life. Okay. So you wake up, you do your morning routine, right. you open your computer. Yeah. What's happening in the life of a scientific reviewer? In your yeah.
1: yeah. So there's, there's a lot of different um, elements to my job. And so, um, you know, we get we call kickoff bundles. So we get an application from some tobacco company. Hey, they're trying to get this particular um tobacco product approved um it could be a new product it could be a product that's previous on the market that they're making some changes to minor changes um and we get we get a kickoff bundle and then so you get all the information that is associated with this application and so then i take time to look at it i would compare what was the previous um tobacco product what does that look like it's on the market with any issues compared to what they're trying to apply with now are these changes Minor or major? Because if it's a minor change, then it may be a, it's a a little easier for us to process. If it's major, it may have to go to different pathways. Because there's multiple different pathways in which these particular tobacco products can be approved. And so I spent a lot of my time comparing um what are these chemicals within them? The different flavoring. What's the impact does it have on human health? Um, so that could be a long process of just comparing different applications. Uh, we're also in different working groups in which that we have to look at, hey. Um, we have different memos that involve, hey, if you're going to be looking at this particular cigar with this length, you got to take this into consideration. Or if you're looking at um, e pens, what does that look like? Um, what's what's too much flavoring? What's too much of a change? What's a major change like that? Being involved, giving our expertise, doing some research as well. We're doing a lot of, um, you know, a science, you know, we're looking at these different scientific articles, looking at what's the impact of the smoke, of Tobacco of um, you know the different issues and you know we're looking at the change in tobacco because though it's maybe tobacco the different leaf of the tobacco may have a different impact on um, the different chemicals right and so understanding a lot more of the process tobacco science um, is a lot of the process that we have before and some of these um, ingredients can be very complex there's a lot of changes. Some of these can be a little simple. It could be just a minor change in which that they maybe are swapping out, they're using a different manufacturer for um, the leaf of the tobacco or the cigarette paper. Um, and that can be very simple to kind of change. But there's also changes in which they may change a lot of different factors, right? Um, and, and how it's, you know the impact that it has on human health is really what we're kind of concerned about. And so we spent a lot of time looking at and comparing different applications, previous applications, Um, we're, we're looking at, um, uh, looking at stats, we're seeing if this is really, um, a major change, if this could be a minor, we're correlating with, um, these different experts, toxicology, I see this change in this chemical, this is impact what you're looking at, does it impact the moisture, um, you know, of this cigar, is this going to, you know, be harmful, is is this going to be an issue down the line, um, the packaging, you know, if they're changing the packaging, does that also mean that. Um, that's going to be added moisture. That means that that the actual product may decay quicker. And so all these different things that we have to factor in, um, and also looking at the testing that they're doing, right? And so um, does the test um, actually meet what's necessary and validating this method? You know, if is this test that was suitable for a cigar, suitable for a cigarette? And so those are the things that we have to kind of be mindful of, and just understanding what what's being tested what's on the market now um is it validated are these market are are these methods validated for this particular time frame yes this study was conducted last year but the method was only validated the method was validated 10 years ago right it wasn't reevaluated you know is it current does it have the um you know the certificate in order for it to be validated you know those are the things we got to take into consideration um in order to make sure that the data that we have is data.
0: Now, earlier you talked about leaning into your zone of genius. Yeah. And that can be a challenging point because Mm -hmm. you've, you were in the lab, you know how to do the research, but then realizing that just because I can do this, that doesn't necessarily mean that I should be doing this right now or in this way. So let's talk about, you know, what was the process? What was the internal process like for you to come to that decision that Yes, I can do this, but I'm going to go this route instead because that's just a better fit for me at this time.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I was looking at um, different ways in which that I could figure out how what's my skill set. Right. I understand research, as you mentioned before, but what what do I thrive in? What area do I thrive in? And so I looked at um, a, a basic worksheet of just transferable skills. Right. What jumps out to me? And I looked at like the top four transferable skills that jumped out to me. And how do I leverage that? And what jobs align with that? And I was looking at different websites, the website called Cheeky Scientists, in which that it's really about just, um, once again, try to get people into industry, PhD folks into industry. And so there's a lot of uh, PDFs, workbooks, seminars. you know, There's a book now in which you kind of look into see like, OK. Um, how am I able to leverage these skill sets? Because I, I think sometimes with those who come throughout you know, a PhD program, there is a sense of, there's a lack of confidence that's come with that, right? I think because we've been just conditioned in order to kind of always defend ourselves, always make sure. Now, when we're in our, um, you know, our, our, our field specialty amongst our peers, that level of confidence able to come out, right? You 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 know it. You're the you know you know a lot about this little portion. But when you start to step outside of that, you gotta ask yourself, okay, what where, where is my skill set look like? How do I leverage my skill set? And so just kind of reassuring myself, okay, you belong here. You understand this. There's ways to grow. Um, there is ways for you in order to succeed in this arena. But you gotta step outside of your comfort zone. And I had to realize as well, and which I would have done earlier was just building my brand and i think that's something i did not do when i was in in graduate school i waited until afterwards if i wanted i think i was just so focused on i'm in school that should be enough right and if i would have started building my brand started making some connections outside of just within my field you know talking to people in different fields of, of different programs i can get a better understanding of okay how do you navigate that and so like i i start to see um a lot of people who come from, let's say lawyers, right? 3Ls, they come out and they have this whole level of confidence. They feel like they can take on the world. I don't think that happens necessarily a lot with people in PhD programs. I feel like it's more of, I'm done, whoo, a sign of relief. Now what now, right? And you want to take some time to kind of relieve. but I think the more that you start to lean into, I'm ready to take over the world. I'm ready to kind of take my next step. I'm ready to to embrace this next layer of this next chapter. I'm excited about that. And if you're you're around more people who can be excited about that with you, um, it kind of helps with the process. And so talking to more people about um, their current situations. And as I mentioned before, I was talking to people in industry, and this guy was like, I got out of college, out of grad school, I joined this startup company. Three months later, they laid me off. And I was like, okay, this is not, once again, I get all these horror stories. But he was saying. But ultimately, I learned a lot. I was able to gain all this this skill set. I was able to talk to other people who were in um, different industries and reach out. And I was able to really kind of grow from that. And I was able to bounce back. Um, but it took a lot of falling. But you got to get back up. And I think that's what, um, you know, I think that's what we know how to do, right? You're constantly being forced to... Um, Persist. Yes, right. Yeah. And so... I I wish it wasn't always like that. But um, I think the more that we kind of lean into it and be comfortable being uncomfortable, I think it'll be a lot. I think that's where my growth really came from.
0: Yeah. And one point that you brought up, I think is so important. There are so many PhDs that are leaving the academy for their own reasons. We Mm -hmm. know what that job market looks like. We know what the income potential and earning potential looks like. Mm -hmm. But even with our interview with the previous guest, she talked about how just the volatility of you know mm-hmm. corporate work, and you can go, especially in the startup you know environment, you yeah. can go work there, and then like like you were saying, the person they didn't have a job within three months. That's yeah. that's a reality that's out yeah. there. So. It's not even a matter of, you know, the grass is greener. Yes, you can make more money in in doing applied research or in commercial research. But there are risks that come along with that. And at least putting yourself out there in terms of, like you said, building your professional brand, getting to know people, having real conversations and listening when they're saying, hey, this is what I went through. Then At least you're making a more informed decision um, as you go into these different career paths. So looking back. Reflecting yeah. on your career to date, what are some things that you wish you would have done either more of or sooner or just done at all?
1: Ooh, um, I, I think I would have loved to really understand what networking looks like. And I think it took me a while to kind of figure that out. And not just networking in a sense of, we're exchanging business cards, but really getting a genuine relationship because I think that's sometimes I I still constantly struggle with that, right? I can meet somebody, we have a great conversation, you know, we connect, and sometimes I don't circle back around. And so understanding that is this a relationship that can work both ways, and you know, there's been a lot of opportunities that I've been able to get as far as speaking engagements, um, job opportunities, you know, people reached out to me, you know, ways in which the collaboration, mentorship. Um, You know, that's a big thing as well. And so networking and mentorship. And I think sometimes um, we think of mentorship has to be, um, you know, somebody that's in this well established field. But mentorship can can also come from your peer. Right. And so like understanding that, hey, this person was able to leverage their networking, um, you know, their network to work for them right and you know what does that look like how do you how do you tap into that and just understanding that you got to be able to circle back around understanding that hey somebody better be working on a project ask you know follow up ask how they're doing you know figure out what that process looks like somebody changed careers you know having a brief moment to say hey, I would love to grab some coffee I'd love to have a virtual chat with you you know just to kind of understand like why did you pivot is there anything you would tell me about is anybody can kind of let me know what, what what's ahead of you in this whole process, I think, would be a big thing. And just kind of really build upon um, what everyone always tells you, network, network, network. And, and like I, it's still it's still a process for me. I'm still learning. And it's, it's unique because with COVID hit, a lot of people would try. But prior to COVID, you would maybe network at these conventions and things that matter, meetings. And so when, you, when you're not in person, it's a lot harder to do that. But you got to be more proactive with that, right? And so that's why you can leverage LinkedIn. That's why you can start making posts, be vulnerable about your 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 honest journey, and trying to talk to different people because I think that would really help um, help you in the long run. And you never know who may see that post or connect with you, and that can help you with your next position as well. So I think just kind of building upon that, I think would be would have been extremely helpful prior. But you know, I think I think it's so easy just get caught up with. I'm in a program. That's it right now, I'm really to focused on this, because that's the only thing I can handle. But the more that you realize that it's more to the program than just um, your research or your study or your dissertation, it's more about how can I leverage this for my next position, and the more that you realize that, because it'll be easier once you finish on the other side.
0: Right. And I think that networking gets a bad rap because we've all mm-hmm. been in places where somebody's right. like playing business cards everywhere. <laughs> right. Just yeah. blindly feeling that you you don't want to be that person in the room.
1: Mm-hmm. And what
0: I found for me being transparent and being authentic. And not caring about this person because they work at this company that I want to work for, but caring about right. them just as a person, right. just recognizing that they're a person in a role. They, right. you know, have advice that they can share, and just saying, just checking in. Hey, how are you doing? Hope all is well. Just want to say, hey. Also, letting people know about your progress. So if you've made progress from you oh, know right. one conversation to the next, that's always helpful because they want to know that the advice that they've shared with you that you're putting it into play. And that's something. so I absolutely understand what you're saying about not wanting to network because as someone that's an extreme introvert, <laughs> Austin, you have to go yes. you have to smile at people, you have to talk to everybody all yes. time, like. And so especially if you've spent a lot of your time in a library somewhere behind a computer or like right. in yeah. lab, having to talk yeah. to people in that way can affect like a lot. But networking can if done right, networking can work to your advantage. You have to just make sure that you're being yourself. And yeah. that you're making sure that it's a two way street and you're not just taking from someone, but yeah. you're able to, you know, just share, even if it's just sending a quick note. Hope you have a great week and not being cheesy, right. but just make sure right, right. You're right for the relationship. OK, with the time that we have left, yeah. if you get let's say you get a frantic LinkedIn message from someone <laughs> that's yeah. like, I'm about to graduate. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. What's one piece of advice you can share? What would you share to with that person to kind of help them through that tough time? Because I've sent many frantic emails myself. <laughs> so, so I understand that position. Yeah. But looking over the, the trajectory of your career, what advice would you share with the person um, in that situation? Um,
1: I, I, I and, and just to kind of circle back, I think the two things continue to build your professional brand on LinkedIn. Right, just constantly and with LinkedIn, social media, whatever works for you, mm-hmm. and talk to people that those informational interviews are priceless mm-hmm. um people like I said before, people love to talk about themselves and you can gain so much information uh, from just understanding what what stage they were at, what they've done, and even if not their previous not at their current job they may be able to be somebody at the previous job may be able to, and just trying to talk to people and understand their career path and figure out what works best for you because you'd be surprised how people end up in their particular position. And they go through ups and downs, left and rights, different turns. And I think just getting more information about people that are in the field that you're interested in, or you, you may not even be interested in, or just different people that you can feel as though you can gain some information from, lean into that. And I think it, it, that would be the best way. I think you know, reaching out to LinkedIn is a great step, but having those quick conversations um, to kind of give you some idea of, okay, what would be my next step, right? And so I think the more that you can, ab- the more you're able to kind of hone in on that, really trying to craft that, you can get your elevator speech together, that two-minute speech of, hey, this is what I did, this is what I want to do, you know, what what's my next steps, what does that look like, you know, really kind of create that um, will help you tremendously. And you never know uh, where your opportunity comes from. I remember there was this, this is another reason why, I told myself, I am going to always um, leverage my opportunities. I remember it was, I was going into, I think, my junior year in college. And um, I wanted a lighter workload for the fall. And so I decided to take um, biology at a local community college um, yeah. in this area. And so I took, the, I took the course, biology, community college during the summer. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? It's fine. I had a great time. And my professor was like, oh, what do you want to do afterwards? And this is like, oh, I'm thinking about grad school, you know, professional school. I have all these different opportunities. I haven't figured that out. And he was like, okay, well, if you ever, you know, you know, I would love to chat with you. You know, it seems like, you you know, pretty good at the science thing. You know, why not? Let's chat. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Got his information and didn't think twice about it, right? I'm like, okay, it is what it is. Like, you know, I get information all the time. Um, and I'm meeting all these different people. And I was like, okay, sure. All right. And then um, then I started this internship at the FDA. You know, I'm like, okay, great. I'm in here. And um, I walk past the room and it's my professor. Wow. And I'm like, wait, I didn't know you were working. And he was like, well, why didn't you let me know? Like I would have been able to speed up this process. Mm-hmm. And I, from that moment on, I realized you got to capitalize on opportunities. And, yeah. you know, you just never know who's in that room. And you never know how they can help leverage you. And so, you know, that was a big learning lesson for me. You know, you never know who who's gonna be an advocate for you, who's gonna be in those rooms to kind of um, speak up on your behalf and to make your life a lot easier. But you know, the more, you know, the more that you lean into it, the more you, you realize that people are willing to help you and, and there's opportunities out there for you.
0: Yeah, I think that professors as allies, I don't think we have that conversation enough, especially oh. when I taught in undergrad. The students who just kept in contact and if they need a recommendation letters for many, many different things, I was yeah. there because we had that relationship and they would just see the drop by my office. It was never them. It never felt fake or forced. Oh, it right. was, they just kept in contact. And I truly believe that there's so much on the other side of a follow-up. If oh, yeah. You just yeah. meet people in this follow-up and even you were uh, talking about LinkedIn. I think it's also helpful to even have a LinkedIn strategy. One thing that I do to build business if I see someone that views my profile and we might yeah. have similar interests, I'll drop a quick note. Hey, thanks for dropping by my profile just to share a bit more. So that way, at least I'm able to capitalize on that contact, Yeah. And even if and I've actually won business that way, just by, yeah, right. hey, you view my profile. Here's more about what I do. So right. it's important to, you know, come up with a strategy that works best for you in terms of your LinkedIn strategy, in terms of building your professional network. A lot of people that Marianne has found have been people on LinkedIn that are actively talking about their industry. So are mm. you contributing to that conversation? And so that'll right. bring which we're a growing platform, but we see ourselves right. being very big one day. But yeah. that's how we found a lot of great people, including yourself, to come on the platform just by them sharing their zone of genius yeah. on social media. So um if with the time that we have left, is there anything else that you want to share that maybe we didn't cover? I want to make sure that you are sharing as much as you want to during the time that we have.
1: Well, you know, just to kind of follow up as part one of my strategies, I always ask, what can I do for you? Yes. You know, you brought you brought me onto this platform, which I definitely appreciate. But how, how can I help you out in this whole process as well?
0: When I tell you, we would love to hear from more BIPOC PhDs. We want to make sure that if you could share this with your network, we just want people to know that one, they're going to be okay. And yeah. to you know, just breathe through the process and give themselves grace. But also, we just want to make sure that we're amplifying the work that people have already done. So that would be that would be great. And thank you for asking. See now, that's how it works for everyone. <laughs> exactly how it works.
1: Exactly. Yes. No. And 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 listen, I, I I plan on doing that for sure. I I love I love what you guys are doing here. I love the information. I think it definitely. I would love. I wish I just was was around prior to when I was going through my process. But you know what? It's, it's you know, we're paving the path forward. And so I think all these different things, these different tools, you know, just can add it to the toolbox. So yes, of course, that's, that I would I would love to do that.
0: Absolutely. Well thank you all so much for watching. If you want to share your story, just email us at hello at jasminegoodman.com. You all have a great rest of your day.